You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 88, by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James Hines, entitled Concerning the Astral World and Devakon. This is Lecture 19.5, the fifth lecture in the fourth section of the book, entitled Early Images of God, given in Berlin on November 2nd, 1903. Today I would like to speak about certain phenomena that are connected with the condition that appeared in the middle of the third round, the third period of time in Earth's evolution. In this period, the human races that were formerly of a finer etheric substance sank deeper into materiality. The ability to form pictures and thoughts was developed. In the first root race, the ability to form feelings was developed. Human beings could feel. They could perceive the difference between cold and warm, between bright and dark, between wet and dry. But they could not yet picture things. They did not yet have the ability to create pictures within themselves of the objects surrounding them in the world. They could not repeat within themselves what was outside of them. That began only with the third root race. On the one hand, we see the gradual appearance of the ability to form images, and on the other hand, coarse materiality of the physical world, which was expressed in the ability to reproduce and in the appearance of masculine and feminine. This development is connected with something else that can give us a deeper understanding of the picture of God. At that time, there was as yet no idea or image of God, only beginning in the third root race, could an image of God dawn on human consciousness? We can understand this only if we think of this development of how an image of God evolved as a real process. When we attempt to understand how an image of God began to take hold in humanity, we find that we can ascertain at first a form of religion that is distinguished from polytheism and from other forms of religion. For this reason, a special word was coined, henotheism, Henotheism was the original form of religion, which we find everywhere at that time. Religious worship of many gods came only somewhat later. The original form for the image or notion of God is worship and reverence of a primal godhead. However, this original notion must be distinguished from the later concept of one God, known as monotheism, since it is not as clearly formed The original notion is wavering, blurry, and indistinct. This is an indefinite picture of God that appears everywhere. Expressing myself clearly, I would have to say that originally the peoples of the world did not think of one God alone. Rather, they pictured something divine. They imagined that something indefinite underlay the foundation of the world and that this indefinite something was divine. How and from where did people get this notion that the primal foundation of the world was divine? Several hypotheses have been put forward without being able to find out where this idea comes from. Henotheism, such as it is found today among so-called primitive tribes, 
is not the original form of this notion of God, for these peoples are not direct descendants of these old cultures. If we go to Lemuria, we encounter a point in time when the transition took place from a universal working of cosmic wisdom to Kama Manas, working in individual human souls. Before that time, wisdom was a universal being, a being that hovered over the whole of humanity as a spirit. It was not yet very different from the universal spirit that was at work during the moon epoch. It was just in the Lemurian time that the universal spirit was instilled into human souls. Picture it happening this way. Before this happened, the Lemurians saw the unitary spirit, which they could not yet picture or think, outside of themselves. It hovered above them. In their further development, they found the same spirit within themselves, which in earlier times they had been able to perceive outside of themselves. They found it within themselves, reflected within their own souls. Before they evolved into beings that were able to picture and think, the Lemurians' vision was half astral. They beheld the unifying Godhead hovering above them. When they now looked inside themselves, they beheld in their own souls a reflection of what had been outside them in earlier times. It was the content that was outside them in earlier times, now illuminated in their own souls. The first notions of God were nothing other than a repetition of this process. The remnants of such religion you can find in the oldest religions of ancient India. Now let us consider the Atlantean race. The Lemurians could not only see, they could also make for themselves a spiritual image of what was seen. But it is something different to have the capacity to carry a picture around that one has formed. Memory was first formed in the Atlantean race. In the first root race, the ability to feel was formed, in the second the ability to see, in the third the ability to form pictures. And only in the fourth root race could human beings retain the formed pictures and thereby create memory. If you think of that, memory was developed primarily by the Atlanteans, then you can imagine that religion had to have taken on a certain form with them. The Lemurian human race dwindled. It transitioned into the Atlantean race, which had developed memory. With their excellent memories, the Atlanteans could remember the pictures that their predecessors, the Lemurians, had made. That is approximately the way we should picture it. For example, as when you see the sun reflected in a drop of water, but not the sun itself. For this reason, the Atlanteans developed a twofold consciousness. The divine took hold of a place in our predecessors. They were our ancestors, in whose souls the divine lived. That was the time when ancestor worship began. The cult of ancestors appeared then. Ancestors were worshipped because people saw the divine light up in their souls. A variety of ancestor worship is seen in the later worship of heroes, Theseus, Jason, and so forth, that also belongs to the worship of ancestors. However, in this way, the worship of many gods was also introduced. Here we find real spirituality flowing into the souls of human beings in memory, development of memory, within the fourth human race, in the age of the Atlanteans. Now we come to the fifth human race, 
The power of thought is developed in it. The Atlanteans did not calculate in the same way that we do, because the power of thought is necessary to do so. Logic. You know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. You know that. You acquired this knowledge through thinking. The Atlanteans did not yet have this ability. When they had 2 and then again 2, they did not say 2 plus 2 equals 4, but rather, quote, how many did we have in previous cases? The Atlanteans' ideas were thus bound to their memory. The Atlanteans could see their entire lives spread out before them, and also that of their ancestors. This should not be confused with the Akasha Chronicle. It was human memory. In earlier times, people sensed things with their entire nature. It was not like today, where we must first touch something. Today we have the laws of thought, for example, 2 plus 2 equals 4, and we conform ourselves to them. The religious consciousness in the fifth root race must be developed under the influence of thinking. Human beings in the fifth race seek not only to perceive what is around them, they seek not only to arrive at a sensation, rather they seek to grasp things with their thought. Thinking has become for them an important means for achieving wisdom. In this way they free themselves more and more from the past, because memory is drowned out. Revering what is old is disappearing. Reverence is attached only to what lives deeply in the soul as manas and what announces itself as manas. For this reason, the fifth root race is reaching the point where manas is recognized as the divine. The fifth human race, therefore, no longer practices polytheism, but rather strives to achieve the mastery within and to recognize the center point of the human being. For this reason we have in the fifth human race the greatest masters, Lao Tzu, Confucius, Buddha, Moses, Zarathustra, and so forth. Humanity has thereby been released from the past and from the worship of its ancestors. It is beginning to recognize divine wisdom that has been realized in time. If you understand the deeper meaning of ancient Greek mythological images, you will see how in the sequence of steps of the Greek gods there is complete awareness of this sequence of religious experiences. We must imagine that the same power that hovered everywhere above the Lemurians, the power that lived in space as a unifying wisdom, was called Uranus, or Father Sky, by the Greeks. Uranus was relieved by Kronos, the god of time, by the god who lived in memory. He constantly swallowed his children. He represented the entire ancestor divinity. Then followed Zeus, the anthropomorphized god, the god of the heroes. He is a variety of the same principle. Then the cult of Dionysus came. Dionysus was the striving, suffering, feeling, thinking human being. He was represented as originally having been killed, cut into pieces and then resurrected. And now again he strives upward in the world. He is the representative of mastership, of mahatmaship, the representative of the image of God in the fifth race. Thus these three steps were preserved in Greek consciousness. Uranus as henotheism, Kronos and Zeus as polytheism, Dionysus as mahatmaship. This will explain to you why the religion of Dionysus in Greece was a secret, a mystery religion. The Greeks hid this cult in the mysteries. 
Aeschylus was called before the court because he had betrayed the secrets of the mysteries by portraying them on stage, but he was able to prove that he had never been initiated in the mysteries. Socrates had to die because it was believed that his teaching originated in the mysteries. Capital punishment was always the sentence for betraying the mysteries. Every mention in Greek myths of a trip to the underworld always signified an initiation. It meant that the one referred to was a student of the mysteries, even Hercules. Every myth signified something very specific, never something arbitrary. There was no need to believe. People just knew it. It was known through initiation. Initiation brought individuals to the point where they could really recognize the meaning of the myth. The initiate of the fifth root race is filled with the attitude that the fifth principle of humankind is struggling into existence in them, that they are bearers of humanity for the fifth root race. In this way they also arrive at the recognition of Mahatmaship. The more deeply we go into these matters, the more we arrive at the inner progress of humanity's spiritual evolution. Now, it will no longer appear so incomprehensible when I speak of the mysteries. You see, theosophy is nothing other than an ongoing revelation of secret connections and relationships to the world. The secrets that theosophy can reveal today are still very elementary. But they are something that already place human beings deeply into a great context. On the one hand, these secrets cause us to appear small, like a small pearl in a great clam. But on the other hand, we appear large when we reflect on the higher self and imagine our incarnations as a totality of pearls. Theosophy does not make us small, as modern natural science would make us small. Modern science says, quote, There are millions of earths in the entire universe, all of which are occupied, and among all these our earth is but a grain of dust. Close quote. Theosophy also says that we are such a grain of dust, but in us the divine also lives. This divine spark that we find in the center of our consciousness did not arise in us, but rather it was drawn into us from outside. It is the same as what lives outside in the macrocosmos. Feuerbach did not arrive at any special wisdom when he said that the ancients were wrong when they said the Godhead created the human being according to its image, because the human being created God according to his image. This is entirely correct. The human being created the Godhead again out of himself. However, it is the Godhead who is creating here. So we can say that Feuerbach was correct, but he does not admit to himself that he is right. I have said to you again and again that control of thought is what is necessary. And control of thought consists not merely in that a thought is clear, but rather that every thought must have a control thought. One should never think or speak a thought without applying the control thought that belongs to it. Human beings can work wonders if they do not allow themselves to conceive only one-sided thoughts. The end of lecture 19.5